This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. As you can tell, I'm not your regular host. I am Terrence Turner. I'm normally on the other side of things, uh, but I'm filling in for Pastor Smith today. Uh, So as usual, if you have any feedback, comments of the podcast, uh, you can email him at fredjeffsmith at cox.net. That's fredjeffsmith at cox.net. And we really appreciate you tuning in on YouTube or listening on iTunes. Today, we have a special guest. She is a member of Shiloh. She's practiced law for over 20 years. That is correct. And she's currently running for a state representative. Correct. Her name is Sonia Hall. Sonia, how are you? I'm doing well this morning. Very good to have you here on the Thrive Podcast. Thank and you we for appreciate me. you for taking the time out to, you know, come on and talk with the people. So first things first, we want to know um, exactly who is Sonia Hall. People may not know who you are, so we want you to kind of formally introduce yourself and let us know who is Sonia Hall. Okay. I am a native of Baton Rouge and a product of our public school system. I am the daughter of Lillian and Sydney Hall. My dad is a native of Baton Rouge. My mom is a native of North Louisiana. What part of North Louisiana? Ruston, Louisiana. Ruston, okay. Yeah, that's so that's right. very near Grambling. That's but. right. Hey, that's, I, I'm, that, <laughs> Is that your alma mater? That's my alma mater. Well, it's all HBC love, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I grew up in South Baton Rouge, and as you mentioned earlier, I am a candidate for state representative for District 67. Okay, now before we get into you know you you running uh you've also been practicing law for about 20 years or so about right? about 21 years that's correct okay so i what? finished law school in 1996 and i was admitted to practice in 1997. okay now what made you interested in practicing law my father is an attorney and while i was in school i enjoyed the, those courses that had to do with law and government so I, that's what I pursued, you know, throughout my college career. Then I went to grad school in public administration, and I decided to go to law school. Okay. And ever since then, you've been practicing attorney. And is it is it more on the uh, the defense or prosecution or? Well, if you think in terms of the criminal realm, I am a defense attorney. I represent those people who have been accused of crimes. And also on the civil side, I have worked on both sides of the table. I've worked as a defense attorney defending the state of Louisiana, in fact, against claims that either it or its employees had done something wrong. And I also work as a plaintiff's attorney for those people who are seeking justice for someone they they believe have wronged them. For instance, if you've been in a car accident and you think that someone else was at fault, you might seek my services, and I would represent you in that matter. Okay, okay, very interesting, very interesting. And the the interesting part of it is it's kind of a a lineage. You know, your father was an attorney, now you're an attorney as well, too. Right. So does that... It, is that kind of like the spark that has you running for state representative is, you know, helping people? Well, well that's a good <laughs> that's a good analogy, but I would say yes, actually. My work as a public defender, and I work with the public defender's office for about 11 years, mm-hmm. um, 
was one of the main things I think that led to this, but I have devoted my adult life to public service. I enjoy meeting people and serving the public, and that's what led to my desire to seek public office. Okay. Now, um, kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but tell me, how has it been being a candidate? Because, you know, you, you've been private citizen for all these years, practicing attorney, and now, you know, being a candidate, you know, it, it's like everything is there. you got to be transparent about everything. How has that experience been so far? Well, the transition, you're right, has been different because I would consider myself a private person, even though I have... I just mentioned that I had been in public life or public service uh, for my adult life. That's been in the employment that I've had. Just as a private person, I keep my private life private. And so putting myself out there, going out, meeting people is one of the joys of campaigning, but it's rigorous. And for me, I didn't believe it was going to be as demanding as it has been, but I've, I've enjoyed it overall. Okay. And now, so what, what's something that you've kind of discovered? You say you, you know, you, you're going out there and, and it is a bit rigorous uh, meeting new people. You know, you, you have to, you know, be open to fielding a lot of questions. Now, I'm, I'm sure, you know, with, with you running, I'm pretty sure you get bombarded with questions every day. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, uh, what we try and do is we've been going, uh, engaging in a door-to-door campaign trying to meet as many people in the district as we possibly can. And we have little handouts that we call push cards that just give you an insight into, you know, a little bit about me. Mm-hmm. And in that very second, you know, you're just greeting someone so they don't have a whole lot of time. They weren't even expecting you, but they may look at the push card and have a question about your qualifications or something completely off the wall or why should I vote for you so you've got to be ready to engage the public in whatever questions that they may have and I can say people have been very nice and cordial with me I haven't had or experienced any nastiness no slam doors no uh, I don't want to hear what you have to say people have been receiving us very well and I'm appreciative of that well, and that that's always a very interesting dynamic to campaigns and politics in general is when you can find people to actually be nice to you. Now, I'm pretty sure on the other side of things, on the flip side of that coin, uh, you know, if, if you're running, there's opposition as well, too. Sure. And again, with you being a private person, have you have you noticed anything ugly in the campaign as far as um, your opponent maybe coming at you or anything? Nothing like that. We haven't had any nastiness. Everything has been positive and upbeat, but we haven't really engaged each each other at all. Qualifying is still going on. In fact, I qualified this week, so it's official. I'm officially a candidate. Um, as far as I know, only one other person who I'm not familiar with has qualified. At this point, you know, the election is at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. It well, the election process, let me say. So as campaigning continues, I would anticipate that the candidates would have different forums. And at that point in time, we would engage each other. And there may be some contention, but it's my hope that there's no nastiness at all. Because, and I I think that that's a big turnoff with people, you know, especially if you look at national politics and national politics and, and local politics often mirror each other. 
and campaigns can turn extremely ugly and i think you know the general public you know they 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 don't like that i, I don't i don't believe but um the thing that that i have noticed even about uh campaigns is that it, it can go left and the issues get left out and next thing you know we're talking about each other's personal business yeah and is that something that you that you kind of really strive to to stay above board on i would like to stay away with from that because if you're serving the people what you should be doing is talking about the people's business and issues that can help the people and when you start making personal attacks to discredit someone or to if you might think that that may help you gain ground in some way, mm -hmm. it only adds a, an entire negative spin about the whole process. And we want to keep the campaign above ground, above board. Michelle Obama had this famous saying, when they go low, we, we, go, we high. go high. You remember that? Yeah. Well, I'd like to say I'll try and keep it high and above board as possible. We don't want to be nasty. We don't want to go negative. We want to talk about issues that can help the community because no matter who wins, it's the community and the people who are important. And so while we are striving towards victory, we want ultimately the people to win. And I don't want to launch any attacks on any of my opponents, whoever they may be. I want to talk about the people's business. That's what we want to do. Okay. Well, and and speaking of um, the issues, let us know a little bit about your platform. So, you know, what what do you stand on, and and what does uh, the representative of District 67 have to to do? You know, if if you're elected into that office, what what does the job entail, and what are the, some of the issues that you plan on tackling once you get in office? Well, what we like to see is better educational opportunities for our children because we believe the children are our future. Specifically, we'd like to see an investment in early childhood education. We haven't increased that funding in many, many years. And what we'd like to see as a centerpiece of that is the government putting more money into allowing children to go to Head Start programs, increasing funding for um, reading and different programs that encourage children to start school earlier. We'd like to see money put into infrastructure. If you ride around Baton Rouge, no matter what district you live in, you understand that traffic is a nightmare here. Mm -hmm. We need to invest in our infrastructure. We have been neglecting that for years now. Drainage is a huge problem. Yeah, 2016 really showed us the, the, the major issues we have with drainage in this area. I certainly was affected by that. I'm certain many of the people in my district. And my district spans across South Baton Rouge to parts of North Baton Rouge. And many on both ends of that spectrum were affected by floodwaters. But even with hard rains, regular hard rains, we're starting to see standing water on the streets and in houses. That's costing the people money and time, and it's affecting their property values. We can't have that. You know, we really need to address these issues. They're getting worse. And I think that if we invest money in infrastructure, we can help solve that problem. We'd like to see money put into, <clears throat> excuse me, expanding 
Medicaid option. Uh, Governor John Bell has done a great job with that, but we'd like to see that go even further so that we have more people in our district who have um, access to health care. So these are some of the many things that we'd like to see happen. And we would do that, obviously, um, by partnering with local, state and local uh, officials or governments and private agencies, but also introducing legislation to help with funding. Okay. Now, a lot of times when, when issues come up, um, you always hear, again, like I said, national politics mirrors local politics. And one of the things that's always an issue is money. How do you pay for it? I heard you just mention that you would be partnering with other government agencies, state agencies, and did you say private industry as well? I did. Okay, so it, do you have a, you maybe like a, um, do you have maybe like a pitch for private industry or, or have you forged a lot of relationships with maybe some of these private industries to make sure that the money that, that's coming in goes to these different issues? Well, there are certain things like dedicated taxes that are supposed to go to specific areas. We want to see that happen. If you're familiar with the TOPS program, if you're familiar with um, the lottery, funding yeah. from those or from that particular entity was supposed to be dedicated to education, and it has been. We, we'd like to make certain that that continues but when you speak of private industry, it's not always private industry paying for things. It may be fostering with them something that they're already doing or their agencies, specifically nonprofits, who may have money for uh, providing for homelessness, which is also part of our platform. So what in you're saying is basically you have to redirect or, or make sure that the funds that are there get directed towards these issues if it's just kind of just sitting there. Well, yes, but we also want to, we don't want to reinvent the wheel if we don't have to. If there's money there and it's being used, how can we make certain it's used to the best of the, its ability? If you have an agency that's doing something well, and can take on more responsibility? How can we get more either funding or resources to that agency if they're doing well? If we have an agency that's not doing as well, we need to look at it before just throwing money at it because money is not always the problem. It could be other resources. So we need to use what we have better before we just start saying increasing money. Okay. Now, what are some of these agencies that that, that you actually speak of as far as uh, having the money to, to help with certain issues that, that you spoke of about your platform? If you think about insurance and health care, you're talking about the Department of Health and Hospitals. You want to look not just at their budget but the and the Medicaid expansion. You also want to look at the resources that they're using. And I know under the General, General Administration, we shifted a lot of here in Baton Rouge resources to private hospitals like OLOL, Our Lady of the Lake. Is that working well? We need to revisit that and look at how things are working. We need to look at the fact that um, some private hospitals have closed, or at least closed certainly their emergency facilities. What have we done over the years to combat that problem? And, and there have been strides made in that area, but we have to examine how they're working and how we can improve that.
that's what I'd like to do as part of <clears throat> our um, platform to improve the health care system in Louisiana, specifically for District 67. Okay. Now, I also heard you mention that your district spans from South Baton Rouge to even parts of North Baton Rouge, correct? That is correct. Um, in recent years, North Baton Rouge has been a very hot-button issue as far as politics is concerned. What are some of the things that maybe you would do or, or foster to enhance North Baton Rouge as far as economically and socially? Well, if we look at economics, we, we'd like to, that's the partnership with business. We'd mm -hmm. like to encourage businesses to come into the district. And that's also a partnership with local government as well, making certain that that partnership doesn't give the, the kitchen sink away, if it, mm -hmm. as it were, because you can give all these tax credits and all these incentives and not get anything forward. But certainly we'd like to see grocery stores. We'd like to see infrastructure that builds community. And we want to see the community be a part of that growth. Uh, we don't want to see the rebuilding of a community and the people don't get to come along with it. Pretty soon you look and the community that was there is no longer there because they've been pushed out. Mm -hmm. But we want to see just true growth for the community where the community can grow along with the businesses that come in and we'd like to see local work with local governments to make that endeavor possible. Okay, so what are some specific uh, maybe incentives that you would even offer businesses to uh, come into that area? Because a lot of businesses may have been, you know, they may have shied away from it. You know, um, it, it has a reputation. You know, that's what people will say. But how would you, you know, incentivize these businesses to come in? Sure. Um, we mentioned grocery stores specifically. Mm -hmm. um, because the, because the, there is basically a food desert there. There's, there's no viable grocery stores in that area. Excuse me. Well, we'd have to look at the profitability, and that's for businesses. Nobody is going to start a business if they don't believe it's going to make money. Exactly. So we'd have to look at that specifically to see how it would profit a business to come into this area and what would, how would it benefit the community. It wouldn't just be an overnight thing saying, hey, come put your grocery store here and you won't have to pay any taxes. It's not as simple as that. It'd be a long process <clears throat> where we would have to look at how jobs potentially could be created from a business coming in, how that food industry or that food source would benefit the community by not having to travel so far just to, to buy food items or grocery items, and how the state would still benefit or that local community from that business being there. So it's a process. It's not just, I don't want to make it seem as easy as, oh, we need this business here, so we'll just let them move in dispensing with all taxes or anything else uh, that other businesses have to pay. Mm -hmm. We want to make certain that we're fair, but we need to look at the business industry side of it as well as the local government, as well as the state. 
So if we can help foster that, and it may be through taxes, but it may not. It may be through other incentives. We would have to look at the whole process. Okay. Now, um, I also heard you say earlier, you know, you, you, you would want to <clears throat> make sure that the people of the community are not pushed out. You know, key word would be gentrification, basically. If you Correct. have new businesses coming in, you know, you have, uh, you know, corporations maybe buying a property, it pushes the people who are already there out. What would be some of the, the strategy, if you will, if, if, if you mind sharing, um, as far as keeping the people rooted in their community while bringing in new businesses and, and they're, they're kind of working hand in hand together? Well, not just that, but we, we like to term that phrase revitalization, community revitalization. We'd like to see the community own the growth that's coming and be a part of that. What do, I, what do I mean by that? We look at blight as part of the problem. We want to provide incentives even for property owners within communities to make certain that, you know, they're caring for their property. <clears throat> we want to make certain that if you want to start a business, you're aware of business opportunities, even with state and local governments. There may be, um, I don't know, contractor work. And if you're a contractor, are you aware of the requirements to get work with the city or the state? We want to encourage um, our young people to or we want to encourage businesses to hire our young people so that your business is hiring from within the community that's how you make certain that the community is able to participate with that growth and be a part of what's coming into the community and we feel we all feel a part of it so we're investing our time our talent our efforts into making the community better okay now, and, and speaking of, you know, make sure that, that we're hiring people of the community for businesses if, if, we can, if we can actually get them to come into the area. And I heard you er earlier mention education was a, a big part of your platform as sure. well, too. And this works hand in hand, so it's a pretty good pivot, um, that without, you know, without adequate education, they're... They, they can't be hired at these different jobs because they wouldn't be qualified. So speak a little bit more about um, how you plan on maybe even reinvesting in the education of this district. Well, everyone may not be preparing to go to college or um, education after high school. So what we'd like to see is our schools offer different programs, industrial studies, um, different computer, and even in the filming industry mm -hmm. to make certain that these kids are getting exposure and education in targeted fields where they can be hireable when they leave high school even. And some businesses within the community may have businesses that can offer internships to promote children learning mechanics or other industrial studies while they're in school and I think that that partnership would help grow um, opportunities for students who may not be college bound yeah and and, and, I, and I do believe because um, I mean me being I'm 35 years old and I, I grew up in the era where you know 
my friends, all, all the parents were pushing, you know, from fifth grade on up, you know, you got to go to college, you got to go to college, you got right. to go to college. And more and more, we're discovering that that's not the only pathway to success. Sure. You know, you don't, and everyone's not, you know, like you said, everyone isn't meant to go to college. But if there is some type of training after high school that you can go to this, get certified in it, and then you can, you know, begin making a, a very decent wage for yourself. I mean, you know, you have people who, you who may not have went to college, but they they learn a trade and then they create their own business within that trade. Certainly. And then from there, they can hire other people. So that's a that that's a big reinvestment into the community because that creates jobs as well. Because that per, that one person who may have went to college and racked up a lot of student loan debt, right now has you know instead of that, they went to this maybe this this business that was in the community they they learned their trade they they interned with them when they were in high school or or you know or sure 11th 12th grade and then they graduate they know the trade and from there you know two or three years in they maybe leave that business start their own business and they hire five other people from the area correct so it is a I, th I think that is a very workable plan and something that should very much uh, be promoted. It's got to be part of our education, our educational system, because we don't want to get left behind when we get compared to other states. Mm -hmm. But we want to look at making certain that our kids are just as prepared, or if not more so. When I was coming up, there was shopping school and other programs where kids could learn the trades that you talk about. And some kids, many who finished with me, did not go on to college, but they could get jobs right after high school that paid, as you said, a decent wage, but they could make a great living out off of and start families and really start living. And many of them did start businesses. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's about, preparing yourself to have the best possible future that you can. And that's not always college or additional studies, even though we encourage that but we want to make certain that our kids are prepared and have the best opportunities. Okay, now, and kind of sticking with education, um, something that has been discussed even on this podcast numerous weeks, week after week after week, it's always a conversation that, that kind of leads to public education and charter schools. And with education being a big part of your platform, where do you stand on either or? Well, for me, it's really not an either-or situation. I am a huge supporter of the public school system. Okay. As a product of the public school system myself, I believe that um, we have to dedicate and support wholeheartedly with our funding and our resources the public school system. Now, I understand parental choice and I think that that's important to give parents options. If there are charter schools that target specific areas, it might be, um, I don't know, um, art or, um, or humanities or sciences or math or something like that, I certainly would support that and promote that as a way of encouraging those students who have an affinity for that particular area and you want to focus that and you want that to be a focus of your child's education and you want that opportunity to send your child to that charter school 
I would be a big supporter of that. But do you those charter that, schools that 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 charter schools um, potentially divert dollars from public education? I think that they can. And that's concerning to me because of my stance on supporting the public school system. I think that we must dedicate our resources to the growth of our public school system and be committed to its success so that our students can succeed. I look at the qualifications that are demanded of our public school teachers and compare them with their private school counterparts or those who teach in the charter school system and they do not mirror each other. Those teachers who are with uh, whatever public school system in Louisiana, whatever school system that they're in are far more qualified than those teachers who are teaching in charter schools or private uh, in the private sector. So, and and that's the other thing that you know we we we've discussed again numerous times on this show is that um, a lot of times with charter schools, it ends up kind of being a money grab. You know, they 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 move in the area, and then the school you know it doesn't produce anything than than the other schools were producing. Then they close down, then they reopen under a new name. And it's just a, it's just, it's, it, it turns into cycle, like a cycle. Huh? Yes, yes. And that's concerning as well it should be because, again, charter school systems, we are charter schools, period, are uh, a business for some. Mm -hmm. Meaning they're in it to make money. So if I open my school and I'm getting paid, and it's not based on school performance or, ch or how the children are performing. And if I, for whatever reason, have to close down and I ha just have to rebrand myself because I was making money and I just open up under a, a new name, I'm in the business sector. So as long as I'm making money, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. But when you're in the, when your business is educating children and your focus is not, or your bottom line is not bringing in money, then your focus is different. It has to be on the kids. Yeah, and I believe also if if the focus is just the money, then that means you're laxed in in your hiring practices. You you may not be hiring the most qualified instructors to be in your school because, like you said, at the end of the day, it's kind of like you know I'm planning to fail in two or three years, and I can just reopen <laughs> right. again and and keep it moving. Right. Um, so I, I do think that that is a, a very important issue that, that definitely needs to be addressed when you talk about community concerns. Certainly. And, again, that's not an indictment on all charter schools because oh, no, some, no of, some of which may be functioning very well. Uh, but I'm just a proponent of the public school system, and I believe that we must dedicate, again, not just funding but our resources to the success of the public school system. Okay. Now, um, I brought this up a, just a couple of times about national politics mirroring local politics and vice versa. Um, a big issue has always, uh, with, especially with national politics, is um, donations to campaigns. Um, the funding of a campaign, are, are, how are you going about with that as far as donations? What, what, what's the life's blood of, of your campaign? I am the lifeblood <laughs> of my campaign. Uh, we actually have been seeking donations, obviously, from the community and from individuals who support what we believe in and who want to commit to that. Um, 
we take don't we've taken donations only from individuals i don't know of any PACs who have donated to the campaign and that's a huge concern when you think about campaign uh, finance reform mm -hmm. we haven't had those issues <laughs> some candidates may be lucky enough to be dealing with issues like that we are not ours is a grassroots campaign we are dealing with the people and so when those folk who can only give you know $25 we gladly take it because that translates into people who support us who may not have the money to give you know the $2,500 limit mm -hmm. but what they do have is <clears throat> their one vote yeah. which is what we want most of all now, what about even even uh, campaign events? Are there any plans for that coming up as well? I know some people maybe throw uh, campaign events where they raise money for their campaign. We do have some fundraising uh, activities coming up, and we're planning others. We're trying to plan, in fact, intimate gatherings where we can go into the community, invite locals in, so that we can kind of sit one-on-one, -on -one, sort of like what we're doing now. And... Uh, individuals can ask us questions about our platform how do we feel about certain things what would we do in this situation that kind of thing mm -hmm. we also have a um, prayer breakfast coming up in fact next week okay um, we will be canvassing again just trying to meet individuals in different areas and we hope to have those dates and events posted soon on our website and once um, we get organized in terms of uh, a calendar of events we will have that posted so those people who want to participate or help especially with the canvassing they can do that or want to attend functions they can put that on their calendar and know when we'll have events coming up okay now this is a podcast based in a church uh, yes. it is it is the thrive podcast <laughs> with the shiloh missionary baptist church how does your faith um, play into your role in politics and even, you know, as an attorney? How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? Well, obviously it does. Um, it's very important part of who I am. You know, usually what I've done in my past is I just, I sort of jump in. I want to do something. I jump in and I do it. And then I say, Lord, make this right. <laughs> so what I've done is to seek you know the Lord Lord is this something that I should do it's something that I want to do I feel that I'm being led and called to do it but I prayed on it and I've asked God you know to bless this endeavor and he's been walking with me since we started this months ago and I'm praying and relying on my faith to keep me strong throughout the process because you can get weary mm -hmm. or I have sometimes been weary along the way in terms of excuse me trying to get out there when there's not enough time in the day we have we might set a, a daily goal and trying to I don't know knock on 75 doors and we get to 35 you're tired or it's already getting dark you didn't realize you spent this much time you know <laughs> at each individual house you think you know you make up for it because a lot of people may not be home or you don't get everybody but you thinking you know what am I doing wrong here so I've been encouraged by you know somebody might call me that afternoon and say 
baby, I've got a donation for you. Or we saw you out there, you know, or I saw one of your signs. And so that gives us a little bit of encouragement. But I guess the short answer to your question is no matter what happens with me personally, or should I say with this campaign or professionally, I know that my faith will sustain me. And so that's what I re rely on no matter what I do. Okay. And, and people, I guess people don't even realize too, when you're running, this isn't the only thing that you're responsible for. You still have a life outside of running. You still have to manage your household and pay, pay your, your bills on a regular well, exactly. basis. So you're, you know, your, your days, I'm sure extremely long. So that, that, you know, that, that's what kind of brought me to the question is as far as how does your faith play into it? Because you have to be able to lean on something. That's and, correct. Yeah. That's a terrific assessment <laughs> of what's been going on as of late. You know, some people may have the luxury of devoting their full time to campaigning because it is a full time job. But I do not. I still have to work. Um, I don't have kids, so I don't have the rigors that others may have in having to work, campaign, and then come home to a family who demands your attention as well. So. Obviously, with wherever you are in your life, that's where you would need to rely on your faith to get you through. Okay. And as as far as, uh, you know, leaning even more on, on your faith, um, when you're in office, how do you... How do you feel like your faith will, will guide decisions if, if, if you are elected to District 67? And I hope that I will be. Uh, it will be probably just as important as it always has been in that I don't want to lose sight of who I am and whose I am and what my responsibility is. You know, you never want to get into a situation where you forget where you've come from or who you are. I don't want anything to ever take over. But I know that that's an awesome responsibility. So I want to always be humble. And I want to make certain that the Lord wouldn't have to deal with me in any way to put me in my place, so to speak. I want to always be focused on the needs of the people. And I would depend on and rely on, you know, my faith and my experiences as a Christian to make certain that I always did that. Okay. Now... Pastor Smith has this question that he he asks everyone they when they when when they come on as a guest he always asks this question about do you see Baton Rouge being you know your your one stop you know and clearly you have roots already playing here you grew up here you're running for office here uh, so I'll kind of rephrase the question because I'm I'm assuming you <laughs> you plan on on staying in Baton that Rouge is for the, the long haul assumption yes um, but what do you think needs to happen for Baton Rouge because um, a lot of people, they don't feel like they can be successful here. They feel like even if they, they've grown up here, they have to go elsewhere to be successful, uh, to, to plant their flag elsewhere. Um, a lot of people move to Texas, Atlanta, uh, even out parts, parts out west of California. What does this area need to do as far as, you know, we we raise people and then maintain keep them here sure to we want to keep our best and our brightest exactly well you just hit it in the last part of your statement i believe we've got to invest in again our kids 
and that's where that community revitalization comes in. Who wants to go through school, even college, if you stay here for college, and come out to a community where there's nothing for me? There's not a good job, no economic opportunity. I'm in debt now. I've got to go somewhere where I can live, mm -hmm. you know. We're living in times now where folk are wanting to move away, creating whole new cities even, uh, just to get away. Mm -hmm. I really believe that we've got to deal with the issue of race relations here in Baton Rouge. We've got to provide better economic opportunities for children to stay and we've got to provide infrastructure growth so that the people who are living here are comfortable and have access to things that people enjoy in other cities. And you want to make certain also that you have access to basic things like health care, and that includes hospitals and other facilities where you can be, take care of you know your everyday needs. You can't live in a community and have it thriving and um, or that it's not thriving and, and expect people to move into it or to stay in it. You know, people want to go where they can thrive and do their very best. So we got to create opportunities here and make our uh, Baton Rouge a hot pot, if you will, for those coming in, not just in industry, small businesses are very important. We talked about that in terms of kids who might want to open up a mechanic shop or some other industrial shop. Mm -hmm. Those who want to um, be in the music industry or do other uh, things that <clears throat> people in other cities are doing and are successful at. But we want to provide an environment that is good for business growth, whatever your idea may be. I mean, the next Zuckerberg could be right here in Baton Rouge. Very much so. And that idea could be right here in Baton Rouge. We want to pr produce a community that's accepting of it and that can allow that to come into fruition. Uh, and you, you said something interesting. You know, people are creating whole new cities, and it made right. me kind of think of another hot-button issue that's been... <laughs> It just seems like it just won't go away for the last couple of years, and that is the proposed city of St. George. How? What? What is your take on that, and how do you feel on, you know, now a whole new city now being created, or the attempt of it being created? Right. Um, <clears throat> I have been against the city of St. George or the proposed city of St. George since it was originally discussed. I believe that the creation of the city is primarily to create a whole nother school district. That's my personal belief. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's very concerning that people don't think that together is better. We need to deal with the issues that are affecting all of us and see how we can make them better for everyone and not just break away. Now, what do you think the the ramifications of, if, if they're able to successfully incorporate and, and get this city actually there, what what would be the aftermath of that, or, you know, in, in, in your opinion? 
what would be the aftermath of now you know kind of diluting you know basically a city and making it smaller and then you have this over here because if you think about it i mean you have you have central you have bakery you have zachary and now you're trying to create st george what would be you know the aftermath of that for baton rouge well i mean baton rouge would survive as it has like you mentioned with the creation of these other municipalities but um you know i personally believe that it would dilute uh, the strength of Baton Rouge in many areas, uh, obviously for the East Baton Rouge Parish school system, that tax base would be decreased. Um, I feel that it would have a change on the property values. Now we've had some businesses that have incorporated to make certain that they stay within the city of Baton Rouge, but others, you know, would not be in this, the proposed way that they're cutting their city of St. George would take away, you know, many of the subdivisions, um, businesses that are currently within Baton Rouge right now. But I think that ultimately the city, you know, obviously would survive. But the bigger question for me is we're dealing with a parish slash city government where Baker, Zachary, Central, and even the proposed city of St. George could vote on things that happen within Baton Rouge but not be a part of it, but because they're in that Paris system, like our mayor, our city council, and things like that, we have to. Re we really need to re-examine that and how it's going to work. It almost feels like it's gerrymandering on steroids. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Well, I do appreciate the conversation because um, I know you got to get back out there on the campaign trail. You thank got a you long, for having day, me. And we appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you guys for watching and listening, and we'll be back next time.